Hello, everyone, and welcome to How to Father, a podcast on the amateurness of being a dad. I want to first thank everyone who tuned in to my quick three-minute introductory episode talking about what we're going to do, why we're doing it, etc. But on this first actual episode, I want to really dive in and let you guys know who I am, the why, the way I do, the things I do, the think, the way I think, and in a sense, why do I father and parent in the manner that I do. My name is Troy Rivas, if you didn't know, and I want to dive pretty deep into fatherhood and learning about how to be a better dad, not just for my kids, but for everyone that's around us. As we know, it does take a village. So I started this podcast for a couple reasons in mind. Uh, first was to share experiences as a dad. I've only been a dad if you put the kids years together just around 17 years my oldest camden he is nine will be 10 this year and my youngest maxton he is six and will be seven this year with that being said it's been a journey it's been a journey good bad everything in between i just want to share those experiences When I started thinking and meditating on this idea of this fatherhood podcast, I first was thinking of a name, like what kind of name, what what, what should I really kind of, what would bring things together? You thought about cool dad or fun dad or dad's way or all these different ideas, but I wanted something that was to the point and got across what this podcast is about and that's how to father. So... That popped in my head. Then, of course, like if, it, if I thought it, then a million other dads have probably thought this name and this idea. So I did some research to look to make sure there was no other podcast with that name, How to Father. Went on Apple Podcasts, did a search, and I searched How to Father. And the first, I think about 12 suggested podcasts were mom podcasts. And that to me really showed light on the reason why I wanted to do this. Am I the first? No. Will I be the best? Not even close. But I know that there is a deep need for fathers and dads of all sense of the word if you're a blended family, if you're a stepdad, if you're whatever the case is, we all need support. And really, we all know there's really not much support for men. I just finished um, organizing a distinguished gentleman's ride that benefits men's mental and prostate health. It's put on by the Movember Movement out of Australia. It's a worldwide event. And this year in Albuquerque, uh, this is my second year as a host, but this year in Albuquerque, we surpassed our rider numbers and our donation numbers, which was great. But still at the end of the day, with these big grandiose events, men are still lacking a lot of support. June is is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month, and a lot of people don't know that. 
And when it comes to father, fatherhood, men, manhood, this was one of the main reasons why I really, truly wanted to start this podcast was a support, not just for fathers across the world, but support for even myself. So let's dive into me, Troy, who I am. So I was born May 4th, 1985 in Killeen, Texas. My parents were Army, Army brats, go Army. And I was born on Fort Hood in Killeen, Texas. By the time I was around two, uh, we ended up moving to the East Coast, to Maryland, Virginia. Uh, my mom's mom was there, brothers, etc. And so we ended up moving there. I do have three siblings, so it's four of us total. We're all a year apart. I have Bianca, who's just below me. Two years away is my younger brother, Corey. And the youngest is my baby sister, Nicole, who, congratulations, just had her first baby with her wonderful husband, Terrence, and I hope to have him on the podcast at some point. With that being said, my dad end up leaving not just my mom, not just our family, but majority of his family around the time we were five. And for the longest time, I really didn't understand why or didn't know. And so I was raised by my mom, single mom, a tough, very tough army military mom and my grandma and my grandpa and my uncle, and, and had a lot of other people around, but I never had a true dad that was constantly there. Uh, I love my grandfathers, so I had three granddads. My granddaddy Perkins is not my mom's biological father, but that was my grandmother's second husband. And she pretty much raised my mom and raised us as a granddad. My granddaddy Johnson, who passed away last year, was a wonderful man. And that was my mother's biological father. And he had a part in our lives as well. My granddad Rivas, who lived in El Paso, was my dad's father. And he was a part of our lives as well. With my uncle Albert and my uncle Marcel, they kind of had their own little part in having that male fatherly role in our lives. But more so my granddaddy Perkins. He was the one that was nearby, always seeing us. We went to church. We did a lot of things and taught us a lot of things. I remember him picking us up in a old boxy Nissan Pathfinder all the time. And I loved that SUV. If you're familiar with the Pathfinders, the back doors doesn't have a traditional handle. It's in the doorway, kind of halfway up. So as a kid, you're like, oh, this is so cool. And then my granddaddy Johnson had a Ford Probe and they had some funky, quirky things with that car. But the thing I remember the most about that Ford Probe was how the seatbelts will automatically lock you in the car. So again, as a kid, you're like, whoa, this is so cool. And, um, and so things like that, and of course, a very stern mom, always kind of kept me in a, a pretty good check. Um, the thing is about growing up in Maryland, about seeing all my friends and family having this 
family experience, mother, father, siblings, etc., or even if they were a solo child. I always had, but it wasn't very often, those moments of, man, I wonder what it would be to have a dad. Because I had so many other influences around me, and I didn't understand why he left, but for some reason he did. The thing that I, there's many things why I cherish and love my mom. But one of the main things, she never used that as an excuse. She never said, well, you're acting like your dad, or if your dad was around, or only if you had a dad, or well, your dad is X, Y, Z in a negative way. Every time a Duran Duran song came on or something of another, she always said, oh, your dad used to like that song. And I'm like, why do I even care about that? He clearly isn't here. But she never built up this animosity or this hatred or their angst or this anger towards, in a sense, who my dad was. So we grew up in Maryland, uh, Greenbelt, Riverdale, Bladensburg. PG County, Maryland, which is just north of D.C., just south of Baltimore. And our family was all around. We had family in Montgomery County, Calvert County, and my grandmother was in D.C. proper. So we had so many experiences. If you're familiar with the East Coast, everything is very close. If you're familiar with Washington, D.C. itself, a very diverse city. You had the best museums in the world, the Smithsonian's, you had the zoo, and all that stuff was free. As a parent now, we love to see half off or kids under six are free or eight are free or 12 are free, which that's very rare. But we like the free or the half off type of things. Airlines were talking to you. But at the same time. My mom, who worked so many jobs by herself, even though we had support all around us, everything laid on her. She made a point to make sure that we were either at a museum or were volunteering, cleaning up the Chesapeake or the Anacostia River or whatever, planting trees, doing this, doing that. And she always made it a point for us to do things that increased our our imagination with the world being around diverse people there was the Powhatan tribe in Maryland and we used to go to the powwows there and I loved it I absolutely loved it when you had any kind of Puerto Rican or Dominican festival or fair we were there a Greek festival we were there Uh, any Chinese New Year whatever the case was she made a point to have us there. And as a parent, we know most of these festivals are free. Sure, you pay for your food or whatnot, but most of these events are free. Pack some sandwiches type of thing. And that's what we did. So growing up in Maryland, I was there until I was about 15 years old. And I remember my childhood very vividly. I remember the first day of kindergarten I remember to acclimate us at Phyllis C. Williams Elementary School there in Upper Marlboro that we had to uh, we had a ginger man uh, catch the ginger man. The whole catch me, catch me if you can catch me because I'm the gingerbread man. 
And so we read the story and we went around the school to familiarize ourselves, a little five-year-old, six-year-old, about where's the gingerbread man? So we make it back and a gingerbread man, of course, hides in the oven. And this is the little toy wooden oven. They turned it on and then we took our naps. We still had naps in kindergarten and we wake up and the gingerbread man was cooked. And I remember the first time in my life where I sat there and was like, these guys are bamboozling me. Because it wasn't the gingerbread man that came out. They handed us all animal crackers. I mean, they could use like ginger snaps or ginger cookies or golden grams or something like that. No, it was animal crackers. So I started getting a very uh, pessimistic mindset towards teachers at a very young age, knowing that the, the gingerbread man was Brahms animal crackers and we all know that's not the case but I have a very strong vivid memory of my childhood prior to five years old when my dad left I have memories of my siblings of doing things but I have zero memories of him so as we grew up through elementary through middle school and right before I went to high school uh, we, my mom, uh, we were at Camp Moss Hollow, which we just looked up yesterday. My siblings and I saying, wow, is this camp still around? I'm surprised it didn't get shut down or whatever. It was, it was a rowdy place there in the Shenandoah uh, Valley in Virginia. And so we we're out there to like a two week or week camp. I don't know. It felt like an eternity. And uh, my mom was in New Mexico for a conference and she was sending us Postcards. This is the day of postcards. No text messages, no selfies. Like, here's a postcard. We got postcards of balloons, hot air balloons, and the tram, and all this stuff. And it was cool. And I remember the last postcard she sent was said, Kids, this is where we're moving. This is where God has put on my heart for us to move. And if you are myself as the eldest, I'm already kind of getting to that teenager kind of I know everything stage and I was very upset very disappointed and a lot of our family members were that we were my mom was moving us cross country to a unknown land in Albuquerque New Mexico in order to fulfill this vision that God gave her on top of the Sandia Mountains so that move happened we ended up out here. We stayed in Nebraska, where my uncle's at, Western Nebraska, worked on the farm. And we used to go up to the farm all the time, and that was awesome. But we ended up in New Mexico, and the setup that she had for housing and for employment actually didn't work out. So about the first two and a half months in a very foreign place, my mom... And her four kids were in a homeless shelter. And at the time, I was, of course, very upset. We had a comfortable, we had our own house. We were very comfortable in Maryland. We had our friends, our family, crab. We had all kinds of stuff. And now we move across country and our stuff's in a storage unit. And we're sleeping on a cot with a hundred plus other people in this gymnasium in this homeless shelter. 
And as a parent right now, I cannot imagine the thought process that was going on within my mom. I can't fathom what the fear, what the anxiety that she had during those few months. But then I saw that she was, as she always was, did everything above reproach. That she didn't focus on the what ifs or the fears or this or that. She focused on how can we get out? How can we thrive? How can we move forward? And we did just that. We got out of that, got a town home near Four Hills, and then the rest is history as we uh, started growing up in Albuquerque with our living situation. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I always thought, what about my dad? wonder what this guy's up to. I mean, clearly, he's not in a homeless shelter with us. Clearly, he's not struggling with us. Clearly, he's not doing all these things. But usually, my mind, just like my mom taught us, don't focus on things you can't change. Just focus on things that's in front of you that you can. I can't change the fact that he was never in our life. And so that never really was part of the forefront of my mind. So went to, we went to a private school called Cornerstone Christian Academy. We all graduated high school and all that fun stuff. And then it's like, what's the next step? I was, we were part of the Sandia Church of the Nazarene. And Nazarene is a Christian-based church. And at that time, God put on my heart that I should focus on youth ministry. And so I did a lot of praying, a lot of everything, and I went towards youth ministry. And I was a youth, became a youth pastor for the Sandia Church of the Nazarene. And my heart towards the youth in a lot of ways, middle school all the way up to high school, and in some of the college-age kids, really kind of put a, just a, a true heart and love for kids also, at the same church, I was a preschool teacher for their younger kids. And for a time, I ran a college campus house. So as a young man in my early 20s, I was watching young ones raising, in a sense, the youth in our youth group. And then I went home and I was a peer to kids at my age or some little older who were in college. So it was a lot put on my plate. But as my mom always raised us and showed us, like, just whatever you have, hold on tight to it and work through it. Focus on the solution and everything instead of the problem. So I was a youth pastor for six years. And then it was a time for me not to be. It felt that my life in general versus the life and the understanding of church. And I am not an atheist. I'm not anti-established religion. Nothing like that. But the views that I had and the and the idea of philosophy that what Jesus was raised, this love everyone, all this other stuff, we are all blameless. We all fall short. Um, 
was kind of my thing. I was in the YDDC, which is the Youth Detention Center here in New Mexico, so the youth prison. I was a part of the ABC and the ARC homes. That's the Albuquerque Boys Center and the Albuquerque Reintegration Center. Those are kind of this halfway stepping stone homes to get kids back, reintroduced back into the public from YDDC. So with that being said, I had a very strong heart towards youth and towards kids and towards everyone and just giving them hope. And I felt like the philosophy of the church at the time was, yes, hope was there, but it felt like they were trying to have me confined to this idea of this deep, relationship and you have to be a certain point in your Christianity to be part of this church. And I'm like, well, that's, that's not it. The Bible tells you that the sick need a doctor, not the healthy. And it felt that way. So it came out that, um, as a human, I was falling short as well, that I did some things that, in the eyes of the church were considered sinful. And then I was no longer um, able to do or be a youth pastor. I was on a, in a sense of probation period in order to reintroduce myself back as a pastor. And during that time, I realized, you know what? No, I don't have to have a label to be or to give hope to kids or to anyone around me. And I decided to step away. And if you truly want to hear a deep, dark understanding of why, let me know. I'm, I'm an open book. I wouldn't mind letting you guys know if it's a phone call, meeting up for a drink or something of that nature. So when I got out of youth ministry, um, I became a real estate agent. And to this day, I am a realtor as well. I'm actually finishing up my continued education courses to renew my license for a third time, meaning I've been in real estate for nine years, just under 10. But with all that, with growing up on the East Coast under a single mom, with my life here in New Mexico, and of course, these are very cliff notes, very short jabs of who I am. I... Ruby and I became very blessed to become parents. Camden Michael was born in December of 2013. I remember when we found out we were pregnant, we took some friends out to dinner because they found out they were pregnant. So we're talking, all this other stuff, and we're like, well, how did you find out? Blah, blah, blah. We're so happy for you. Can't wait. And then Ruby will say, well, I have the same symptoms. I feel this. I feel that. Okay. We went to Elephant Bar here in Albuquerque, which today I found out is closed down, which is sad. They had a great cocktails and a good chicken jambalaya. But anyway, we found out, okay, let's take a test. I have an extra test. And lo and behold... Ruby was pregnant. 
And if you want to get truly deep into it, Ruby's dad was very involved in the church as I was, same church. And then when I left the church and when I was still kind of being reintegrated back in the church, they did everything in their power to separate Ruby and I because of the idea of being unequally yoked in the eyes of the church and God, etc. And long story short, clearly, you know how babies are made. Babies were made. And her dad and I had a very rigid relationship to that point. Before I left the church, things were good. When I did, I was pretty much everything wrong to the world. And he did everything in the power to separate the two of us. But the power of children... The power of the innocence of a child pushed all that aside. Mike and I, which is Ruby's dad, the boy's grandfather, have a great relationship. I'm not a person just like my mom was with my dad and with a lot of other situations to hold grudges. I'm not a person to... Hold on to stuff that, that A, I can't change. And even if someone's feelings or idea of me, I will say my piece and then I'll move on. But the second part of that, I will never go out of my way to put them down. So Camden, my lovely son, my oldest, eldest, smart, creative son, Camden, he came along. And my world changed and I was scared as shit. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, for six, seven years, I worked at a daycare with babies and toddlers and preschoolers and elementary age kids. Then for the same amount of time, I was with middle school kids and high school kids. And then the same time I was dealing with college young adults and I had zero clue absolutely no clue I was talking to people and trying to figure things out and everything like that but I had no clue at all how to be a parent and your life changes very quickly I played volleyball I had friends I had a life all this sort of stuff and I still did that but of course it changed and it took a while and I am very apologetic to Ruby and to Camden for me to realize that. I was still playing volleyball two, three times a week at night, the most vulnerable, active time of a baby's life. And as I was fearful of being a dad, imagine the pressure that was on his mom. And I didn't see it that way. I was very selfish in the way I felt in the pressures that I had or didn't have and everything else in between. And so for that, I am sorry. But we live and learn as dads. We live and learn. There has been nothing more beautiful than seeing your kids smile. There's nothing more perfect than coming to you and knowing they're safe. There's nothing that truly 
really kind of makes the world that much more just beautiful than knowing your kid, your son, your daughter, knowing that they can count on you no matter what. So Camden, three years as a dad, I mean, I'm learning, learning, learning. And we, I mean, we're doing everything and watching videos, reading books, doing all this other stuff and still having not a clue. And then Maxton, my youngest, three years later, uh, two years and nine months exact, actually. They're both first of the month babies. They, he came along. He was a New Year's Eve baby, which was funny. And I commend Ruby, mama, that she had both kids all natural. I couldn't do it. I tease that like childbirth is like the man flu. Yeah, because we're babies. We all... Uh, Let's be real. Us men, we're soft. We're babies. We can lift a bunch of things. We can bench a bunch of things. But as soon as we know we can be comforted, oh, give us a blankie, a warm warm blanket, cold glass of milk, and a teddy bear, and we're there. 100%. I don't care who you are. But Max came along. And it's funny the contrast between baby one versus baby two. Baby one, I mean... You got the diaper bag, you got the stroller, you got headlamps and toolboxes and all kinds of stuff. 50 diapers, the wipe warmers, you got hand sanitizer on tap, you got the right all natural sunscreen, you got all the stuff. Baby number two, you just need like a slither of paper, a half a drink bottle of water or something and you're good to go. You're good to go for a weekend because you realize 90% of the stuff that you have, you will never use. Um, but Max came along, my perfect, beautiful little Max. He's such a brute. If you know me or knew me, when my college years, I had a little single speed bicycle. I had a magnetic bear and a magnetic fox, little stuffy, on my handlebars. To this day, they're on my roof rack on my SUV. And I always said, I'm going to have a little bear and a little fox. And the personalities of both boys are just that. Camden is my curious, mischievous little fox, creative little fox, smart little fox. Max is my strong, brute, resourceful, witty, very, very curious little bear. And so I have two tattoos. One, Camden is as a fox with a C on his shirt and Max is my bear with the N. But as a father, I still, two times around, dad times two, I had still had no clue what I was doing. I still tried to really fake it till you make it type of thing, but I knew that wasn't the right way to be. So I knew that I had to surround myself around good men, good fathers, great moms, great mothers, great women, to really understand and to really learn. Because here's the other hard thing about being a dad. Well, I was raised a certain type of way and this is how things should be and it's my way or the highway and I'm gonna raise my kids how I raise my kids. And that's all fine and dandy if it's in the best interest of your kids. Not the best interests of you, but the best interests of your kids. If I 
said and got the perfect dream. I want a QB one, a point guard one. I want to star this, star that, whatever the case is. But if my kids want to be in ballet or do poetry or do whatever, then I'm going to have the shirt on and they'll be the loudest fan in the crowd. Things really don't work out to our understanding of how we want things to be. Because kids are their own humans. And when I realized that fact, that I'm not just raising a toddler, I'm not just raising a kindergartner or a young elementary kid, I'm raising humans that have their own feelings, their own understanding on life. And sure, I show them this, this foundation of how to live, but really it's up to them to kind of figure out what they want to do, how they want to do it. That is one of the main reasons why I, I started this podcast. So my dad, I would say it was about five or six years ago, my sister and brother-in-law, they were living in Florida as he's in the Air Force. And he was getting out of the Air Force and they were moving back to New Mexico. So I was going to fly out there and help them drive all their stuff out back to New Mexico. In the meantime, my mom, my sister, excuse me, was working at a school um, on the Space Coast something, but it was a school for special needs and autistic kids. So one of their group projects or class projects, they were going over family trees. So my baby sister, Nicole, decided, let me look up our dad. Let's see if I can find anything on him. And she found out he lived in Florida as well. I would say, I don't know the exact time, maybe like 30 minutes-ish away from her, maybe a little bit more. And she let us know. This is right before I went out there. She met up with him with her husband, and it was a very emotional time, as you would suspect. She was the baby. She was a daughter. And she was wondering why. So I fly out to Florida. We do all the hullabaloo stuff, all the touristy stuff. And then Saturday came around and I was going to meet him for the first time, at least that I remember. I drive by, I see him sitting on the porch. He was barbecuing, smoking some pork butt. And I sit down in the car, I parked down the street, and I said I could just drive away. I don't know this man. He doesn't know me. What you don't know doesn't hurt you. And at the time, I really didn't feel like I had hurt or anger. I mean, I wanted to feel something, but I didn't really feel anything. So I turned around, parked in front of his house, hopped out of the car, went and shook his hand. And there's, what I wanted to do was to feel anger or something. So I could just like punch him or just push him or find some kind of emotion that was hidden deep, dark in my life, but nothing was there. His first words to me was, hey, mijo. And I wanted to be mad about that. I'm like, you can't call me son. You were never part of my life. So I just sat there, says, finally, good to meet you. 
Tell me about yourself. And all this man could do is say every excuse in the book on why he was in our life. I couldn't change that. He couldn't change that. I wasn't worried about any of that. I said, tell me about yourself. I want to know who you are as a man, as a person. I already know that you could not uphold your responsibility as a father to me and my siblings. That's already known. Stevie Wonder could see that clear as day. I just want to know who you are as a man. And it was nothing but excuses. He was in the military. He was this. He was that. Special forces. And I'm like, you don't have to lie to me. Because I know how the system works. My mom had you on child support. If you're still in the military, you would either be disarmably discharged, which I found out he was, and or you would be in jail because you were paying child support. Like, that's just how it was. Like, I'm not, I'm not ignorant or naive to that. So I said, you know what? Here's the thing. Whatever happens between your mom, my mom and uh, yourself in the 80s is what happened to you guys in the 80s. There is nothing that I could do or that you could do to truly change that or make right of that. But here's the thing. I am opening the door for you to be in our lives. I don't speak on behalf of my siblings, but I speak on behalf of myself, my kids, and my family. So you have two ways to go about it. If you'd like to be part of our life, great. If you don't, I guess that's okay too. Because again, you were never there, so what am I losing? So we sat there, we ate actually amazing pork butt, probably some of the best pork butt I've ever had. We had some good food, good time. We had a couple laughs, drank a couple beers. Then I left. And if you know me or if, if you're a dad, I'm a decently emotional person. But as soon as I became a dad, oh, my gosh, trailers make me cry. I am such a softy when it comes to like any Disney Pixar movies, any movies to do with parents, anything like that, or kids. If there's a song that comes on that has anything to do with being a dad or having kids or whatever cases, I am just weeping. And we'll talk more about this as we continue to go uh, with this podcast with other um, other guests and stuff and talking about different stories. But I'm driving back to Cocoa Beach, Florida, and the whole drive from Cocoa Beach all the way to Albuquerque, New Mexico, I felt absolutely nothing towards him. Good, bad, or ugly. Because my mom raised us that way. She never painted him in a bad light. She never did anything like that. But as a dad, you have kids, and we know what kids are, the most curious beings in this world. So one day this past year, we were driving to school. We were always jam out. We're always listening. Who, what song do you want to listen to? Whatever the case is. And we're just having a good time to set the, a great day before school. It's about a 20-minute commute from our house to the kids' school. And so Max, he said, Dad, do you have a dad? 
Oh, yeah, I have a dad. Yeah, I, I never knew him. He was never part of our life, but I do have a dad. So is he our grandpa, too? I said, oh, yeah, he's your grandpa, too, in theory, and left it at that. Then he says, well, how, Mom, how's your dad? How's Grandpa doing? Oh, Grandpa's good. We could call him after school. And then he says, well, so I have. So he's thinking in his head, I know Grandma Patty, which is my mom, Grandma Linda, which is Ruby's mom, Grandpa Mike, which is Ruby's dad, but he doesn't know my dad. And he asked this question that hit me so hard that I feel that at the time, the 37 years of whatever I had compressed down finally came out. Because as a father, we love our kids. We want to see them grow and nurture and be, we want to nurture them. We want to, we want to be everything for them. But one of the main things we want to do, especially as dads, is protect our kids protect not just in the physical sense but in emotional spiritual in an empathetic way so Max said why does your dad not want to know us along the freeway and I completely broke down I broke down so hard to the fact that why, not even about me, not even about my life, but look at my two beautiful boys. Why would no one want to be a part of theirs? At that time, I realized I never used the lack of having a dad to motivate me to be a better dad. I just wanted to be a good dad. And it took so much out of me that day, that week. That I realized there's nothing more important in this world to me than being a dad. All the titles you give me, all the accolades, all this, this and that doesn't mean anything. I have a curled mustache. (laughs) I won Mustache American of the Year two years in a row from the American Mustache Institute. Shout out to those guys. I've won state championships throughout high school in volleyball, basketball, and soccer. I've done so many things. We went to, we got third place in Hoop It Up, three and three basketball. Um, I've done a lot of different triumphant things as a pastor or whatnot, all this other fun stuff. But at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than being a dad. There's nothing more important in my life than than raising my kids. And at that moment, I realized, how could someone not want to be that? We live in a world that it's sad when people come to you like, oh, my gosh, you're such a good dad. Like it's an anomaly. And sadly, it kind of is an anomaly. There's amazing dads out there. Uh, the school that I go to, the kids go to, we've we can compiled a dad group and I'm going to get a lot of them on here that to me shows my goodness like there's so much I can learn so much I could be better at but I'm so happy to be in such a community with so many amazing dads out there 
But then I see on the other side, so many dads are just very lazy or haphazard or not even a part of their kids' lives, like my dad was to me, that really truly never affected me at all until my own kid asked me that question. So at that moment, that time in my life, I truly, truly, truly made sure that at the end of the day, I don't want to be just a better dad for my sons. I want to present a better dad out there to the world. I want to show dads that haven't really been in their kids' lives for whatever reason that it's not too late. Dads that are in their kids' lives, like myself, that we're still learning because we honestly don't know shit. That it's okay to be an amateur at things as long as you're willing to get better, as long as you're willing to grow. We aren't raising toddlers. We aren't raising preteens or teenagers or anyone. We're raising humans. And our legacy isn't what we make. Our legacy isn't what we drive. Our legacy isn't what we do. Our legacy is how we raise our kids to be better, strong, empathetic, loving human beings. This world would never change if we don't have that, if we aren't that for our kids. So this is why I'm starting this podcast. It's a very small glimpse. I didn't want to be too long. I could, I could ramble all night about my life. And I had a good life. On paper, you could look at it and say, well, he was raised by a single mom who worked multiple jobs. But at the end of the day, my mom made sure that we had what we had. Was it everything and anything? No. We grew up very uh, meekly, but we were able to do and experience things. And it wasn't just with what we could buy, but how our perception of the world was and what she gave us. But with that being said, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. How to Father is going to be a journey that we're all going to be on. It's not going to be just me. This is the last episode, hopefully in a long time, where it's just me. That we're going to have a lot of just dialogue, Q&As. We're going to have specific topics on things and And we're going to have amazing men coming in. We're going to have amazing women coming in talking about the importance of a dad or importance of a spouse or importance or even a co-parent. We're going to talk about deep things like no matter what your co-partner did to separate the relationship, it should not affect their ability to be a mom or their ability to be a dad. And you should never put them down as such. Just because the two of you guys didn't work out. Like in the case of my mom and my dad. So whatever happened between you two in the 80s still had no merit on you as a father. We're even going to talk about the deadbeats out there who pretend or aren't even a part of their kids' lives no matter the reason why. But we're going to have a lot of fun too. At the end of every episode, my guest is going to, I'm going to ask him. Present me your best dad joke. It's not going to be just raw and real. Sure, that's what's going to be. It's not going to be serious since this, this, and that. But we want it to be light and fun and educational. So as I end this first episode on how to father, I'll give you a dad joke. 
as I am in real estate, I will do a real estate dad joke. So I had a client who wanted to put a fireplace in their property, in their home. So he got the quote for the fireplace insert inside the house, but he needed a quote for the flue on the outside. So he calls a contractor and says, I got the wood-burning stove fireplace for the interior. I got the flue to go to the ceiling, but how much would it cost to cut a hole through the ceiling and to have the flue go out to let the fumes and the smoke to go out of the house? The contractor says, you want to know how much it costs to put a chimney on the roof. He said, yes. Oh, it's nothing because it's on the house. So thank you guys for listening. Episode one of How to Father. Stay good out there. You got this, dads. You got it. Until next time, peace.